Welcome to the Man Up, Man Down podcast, presented by Volker Baluda and David Pawsey. We discuss the pressures and challenges faced by men approaching middle age that we're often too embarrassed to speak about with our friends. You can find us online at www.manupdown.com. Enjoy the show and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Welcome to another episode of Man Up, Man Down. This is going to be a bit of a special one because I think this is going to be the quickest, due to scheduling conflicts and issues, we've had to rearrange this one a few times. So it's actually going to go out not long after we've recorded it. So um, any like political or timely uh, comments might actually still resonate when it goes out. I mean, I think another reason why this is going to be a special episode is because um, our, our guest is a very talented man and, and you know, he's had a, a great career in lots of different areas. We actually um, first met, well, Volker forwarded me a message saying, oh, I've just been on this uh, entrepreneurial group and uh, this guy is doing a trial on mindful eating. And um, I was like, yep, that, that sounds interesting. Mental mindfulness. Uh, I like eating. I eat too much. So got myself on this trial and part of the course was um, like a, a recorded message. Yeah, Matt's got a lovely voice. So um, I was like, right, we've got to get him on the podcast. But also, you know, I, he, I think he he ticks so many boxes that we cover in the podcast, um, you know, work-life balance, you know, staying healthy, mindfulness. Thanks for coming on, Matt Hudson. Um, you know me. Member of the Experience Network. Anatomy HCD and Meeting Proof, which I'm sure he'll uh, explain further in a moment. But he's also a mentor, a consultant um, to everyone from mid-tier managers to vice presidents and board members. Um, he advises primarily on matters of design, strategy and entrepreneurship. But he's also a chartered human factors specialist, presenter and documentary filmmaker, uh, public speaker. Um, I mean, he's worked in healthcare in Australia, South Africa, as well as in the NHS. And he's just a very interesting guy to speak to about um, health matters, cats, which we've already been discussing. But anyway, welcome to the podcast, Matt. Thank you, David. As you can tell, probably a bit from there, an undiagnosed ADHD uh, diagnosis will be thrown in there as well. <laughs> he has many plates spinning at one time. Yeah. So perhaps yeah. that's a, perhaps that's under the hood too, somewhere in there. Well, you know, well, again, <laughs> that's another thing that we like to, to talk about a lot on this podcast. So, so yeah, there we go. Tick the neurodiversity yeah. box already. But uh, welcome from my end as well. And, and it's not only because of the voice, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. thanks, Volker. Good to good to good to speak. I mean, where do we start, Matt? Do you want to talk about the uh, the sort of mindful eating first? Maybe maybe it worth just. Understanding where I've come from, a little bit of the background of how I got there, because there's a, very, there's a very definite path of how I made my way to become a guy who thought he had any rights to talk about mindful eating in the world. I, I saw it off a long, long time ago as a kid, like loving sport, uh, thinking I wanted to be a TV or a film producer, uh, and then decided in my sort of early 20s after doing a psychology and sociology degree I'll get a backup career as a physiotherapist like like you do <laughs> totally out of blue but I think that's because I had this love of sport and I went into healthcare and that 
like opened up a whole new world for me. I was a creative, but ended up working in a clinical world. And that was in brain injury units and rehab, neuro rehab or older adult care, as much as it was sports medicine or rehab, like looking after people and understanding the body and mind. So I'd done this psychology and I'd done this sort of physical therapy and it sort of given me this kind of sort of Vitruvian man, Da Vinci approach at looking at people. Uh, and it was around health. And I was there working away in the NHS in different healthcare settings. And I was an okay clinician, but I'd spent, I spent my life just questioning everything. Right? I'm like, don't accept anything as is. I'm like, doctor, what if, if you will? Like, why doesn't something exist this way? Why can't we change that? Why does this system work? Why is the only Why aren't we looking after adults in the community this way or that way or the other way? And it basically made me realize with a little bit of fortuitous connections that I stumbled across this design company called IDEO, uh, who designed products and services, biggest design agency in the world. And I was like, I want to change things for everybody, not just for the patients I was treating. So me being me, knocked on the door, walked into their studio in London, uh, and they were like, wow, you've got an interesting background. There's a thing called a human-centered designer, a human factors researcher. You could come and work at an agency and work with designers and developers and make products and services for the world. So off I went, did a master's, came back in, got a job at a big design agency, and started designing products. Kind of the voice of the customer, the voice of the patient, the voice of the doctor, trying to represent how you made services into things that people actually want to use. With my background, it was always very healthcare focused, even though I did like Maltese as packaging going in, fecal catheters for ICU coming out the other end and everything in between, like from cars to phones to banks to all kinds of stuff. It was, I was brought in more often not to run medical projects. And we did a lot of projects around chronic disease. And a lot of those projects around chronic disease were the mopping up the blood's solutions for healthcare when things have gone wrong. Disease, not dis-ease. And it was diabetes and obesity management, all kinds of stuff. And, as a, and I was like, that's okay, but I kind of want to somehow work in prevention. So I had a very much a consulting, like we said in the introduction, like I do lots of consulting for big, large corporates on how to deal with things like that whether it's apps or ops or, as you said, documentary film, apps uh, in terms of episodes of things where we represent and communicate markets to people. But my passion is like experimenting on like what I call like a behavior design lab. How do we, how do we start to work with what people do in their everyday to prevent problems before they become diseases? And so there, there's, this is how I got to a kind of, a set of experiments, one, we looked at something called Exasave, which was like, how do you stop mindless shopping? Uh, and then as we came together, and that was using exercise and dopamine hits you get from exercising to stop you sitting and scrolling and just buying stuff in the evening. Uh, and again, using sort of life hacks and a bit of behavioral design, and a bit of BJ Fogg's sort of tiny habit forming to do that kind of stuff. And the follow on from that where we met was slow the fork down, which was uh, mindful eating and how I started to look at what I did as my life as this guy rushing around, running all these global projects, consuming food totally mindlessly like a zombie, not even noticing when I was moving food from plates into my body because I was rushing away, designing other stuff, working, running interviews, running groups, all those kind of things, traveling globally, so therefore eating high fat, high sugar, lots of alcohol to get you through the cortisol bit where you're just sort of like forming and sort of performing, I guess. And I went, ah, 
is this is this good? <laughs> uh, yeah. what, what could we do about this? And I mean, I think one of the reasons why um, you know I was interested in the trial because it, as I say, you know, I've got an interest in mindfulness, but it was thinking more about what it is you put in your mouth, but not just from you know, is it high in fat, high calorie produce, but also you know, where was it made? What's the sustainability aspect? You know, what what is the damage doing to the environment? So it is, you know, sort of thinking about the bigger picture aspect. So it's not just about looking after yourself. It's how the way we eat can help everybody. Yeah, totally. I think, so my partner was is, has been a nutritionist for a long time. So I live side by side with someone who was a nutritional therapist and seen their journey in relation to diets, not working, right? Diets are often brilliant business models because they fail all the time and you get certain highs and then certain lows. But the problems behind what happens in terms of a lot of our consumption factors in relation to food is based on emotions, it's based on stress, it's based on self-esteem. It's usually not the muffin, right? I don't think it's not the muffins to blame always. It's like, who are we and how are we engaging with our life? And where does food come into that? I know that I was relying on uh, not even knowing that it was this this sort of crux in life that was that was a big part of my weight gain or weight loss was based on my work relationship with consumption and rewards and sort of like comfort eating as well as like trying to thinking I could exercise out the other end as well as trying to be like a bit of a gym buddy to try and do those both things and and actually not really being very mindful of being, but I, like I say in the, the course, I'm more Mank. Uh, I'm from Chester, but I'm more Mancunian than I am, more Mank than Monk. I don't consider myself to have a great skill set in mindfulness, but I, with my design thinking and my human centered design skills and my understanding of health, I was like, well, actually, I, I, I have a voice here to start looking at what we could do as if it was a design project to redesign ourselves with a bit more, I guess, maybe empathy and kindness. And acceptance that these that we're living in the moment. Like I say, these are these are the good old days, right? These these are the good. We'll look back in these times and say this is great. Let's not beat ourselves up about how we eat, but let's try and understand what the things are that cause us to eat in certain ways in certain contexts uh, and with certain impacts, like in terms of where we choose to eat, what we choose to eat, where it's come from. Like you say, the, the environmental elements, the, the, the ethical, and that's non-judgmental ethical because we all have different views of what ethics are, but the decisions that we make in relation to our food, let's make them with our eyes open rather than our eyes shut. I mean, with, with, with mindfulness, as, as you know, I teach mindfulness. I'm very much into mindfulness as well. You know, I, I like that approach actually to think, you, you, you're taking the design thinking, which I you know know little about, I know a little bit about it, but very little and then applying mindfulness to to eating right and and you know what what you described right i mean you know when, when you travel even if you don't travel right you're you're in a rush you know you just grab any food anything that gets you going i was at a conference yesterday at time of recording and um you know you you got you got a nice lunch and then you know you get tired so they bring you out the chocolate cookies and they bring you out chocolate here and, and there and you just stuff your face right you have a drink or two you know and then oh yeah there's more sweetie stuff and oh this is great and and then you walk away and go like mm, what was was that the best thing ever i'm not quite sure where i'm leading with that but um what, what was the outcome maybe i mean you, you did this whole study around mindful eating maybe, maybe we can touch on that because i think there's and and if i say how 
How can people apply it to situations like conferences, travel? I know Tim Ferriss always, you know, he, I think he carries his own bag of, of nuts, unsalted nuts or something like that, just to keep him going so he doesn't have to eat um, airport food, right? But I always loved airport food, right? It was expensed for, right? So you could eat as much as you can. And, you know, you can go to McDonald's and then Burger King afterwards and, you know, <laughs> happy days. You don't have to pay for it, right? But of course, totally. it's rubbish. You know, it's awful. Yeah. I mean, there were two sides. There were sort of two sides of it. One is that there's the course side, which is the kind of understanding of the crazy world of food. As I say, like guns don't kill people, rappers do with a W. <laughs> we've got a world of plenty and disease of plenty. We've got a billion obese. We've got 800 million people who are, who are hungry. Uh, and it's like part of it's like the awareness, right? Let's get awareness of how we eat, which is part one. But two is me being me, I, I was always like rushing through. Like I was always finishing my food quicker than everyone else. I was always having seconds. I was always, I was never, I was like, I'm the, the sort of alpha, alpha male at the front of the queue guy, right? And it's like, how can I get myself to sort of A, gain awareness and B, give me something practical that can lean in with slowing me, actually slowing me down. So there was the, 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 the knowledge bit around the course about how we eat, how we shop, but the big part of it was about how we actually physically eat as well, how we chew. If you look at James Nestor's Breed book, which I think is really fascinating, I've been an asthmatic since I was a kid, um, and I'm doing lots of work in terms of breath work with Pilates to try and become a better non-mouth breather. But part of the stuff he talks about is like the 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 anatomy of the the mouth and the jaw, and actually over periods of time when we've started having more agriculturally manufactured food we've actually stopped chewing we stopped processing food and now we go down the line to things like huel which is literally you can pour it into yourself you're actually stopping that psychological and physiological engagement with food in the first place which triggers your leptin and satiation that happens like when you get full it takes 20 minutes to find that out and we're bypassing a lot of the inbuilt physical experiences so i was like well how can i get myself actually to slow down with eating if we'd been on the journey if we'd been working overseas if we'd been in the airport literally slowing down chewing more consuming at a pace that we can start listening to our body and part of the design thinking approach of that was building in a, a kind of metronomic app that could start understanding and timing us and pacing us in relation to actually when i take bites to eat to literally be there on my wrist to slow me down to stop me consuming at the pace that would be my natural rushing through pace. So there was, there's the course bit, there's the understanding bit, and then there's a the very practical, I guess, wearable uh, tool, which is still being sort of evolved and thought about and developed at the moment. People, from the experiment, people eat in five minutes, right? It takes 20 minutes for leptin to kick in to say, I'm starting to feel full. And of the people we spoke to, no one is very rare. If you're, if you're in this realm like I was in, which is like, I'm interested in slowing down, eating better, eating more mindfully, that cluster, none of those, not in my, in my experiment, not many of those people are anywhere near that 20-minute limit that enables your body to, to kick in. What you're saying about Huel is interesting because I have this love-hate relationship with Huel. So everyone says, oh, folk could do it, right? You're going to lose weight. You know, it's it's good for you. It has all the nutrition in there. You don't have to worry about it. And it only takes five minutes, right? And if you do that for a certain amount of weeks, you know, you, you get toned even, right? That's, someone said that. And I'm not doubting that, but it's it's a very interesting point that you raised there because can we actually, you know, like ast ast astronauts, you know, these, these people in, in, in space, right? Can we just have the, like gooey stuff that we eat and rather than having proper food? I mean, it can't be healthy. 
you know, so it's interesting what you're saying in terms of, you know, we, we, we need physical food to actually slow down. Or can, or can we survive? I don't know if you've done the research, right? Can we survive on just drinking fuel all day? I mean, is that is that the answer to all things? <laughs> I'm, read, I'm reading 4,000 Weeks at the moment by Oliver Berkman, and it's there's a sort of yeah. it's a philosophical question a bit in that, which is like the more efficient we get, the more stuff we get piled into the world of efficiency. You can't out-efficiency efficiency. You start getting yeah. more effective and people fill your calendar with more. Hey, let's go to the more efficient person. So I guess there's the... Would we want to have a life with Huel or the equivalent where we weren't being kind to ourselves and looking at the cultural elements of food that tend to make the healthier societies in the world, like the Pioppi diet guys in Italy or the or, or the Japanese who spend more time, or even the French who spend more time to engage with food as a communal rather than a functional consideration of life, because it's one of the few things that matters? Or should we be trying to game it to get the nutrition into our body to survive for just a few days. It makes me think about the cat at this stage. <laughs> we might go in the cat bit. But it's it's like, is it is that what food is? If we if is it something to get out of the way so we can get on with the efficiency of our checklist? Or is it the exact opposite? And should we be reversing that and doing the opposite of fuel and building in the time for us to engage with the most important things of life, which is sharing time to eat together with people in, in certain ways? And it's really, obviously, modern day life is really challenging. And there's no simple, it'd be easy to say, well, it's okay just to say to do that. It's easier said than done, which is why the kind of application support metronomic component is, can, is there a halfway house where we can nudge us into better? You've sort of touched on quite an interesting point there. You know, every obviously everyone talks about, you know, the Mediterranean diet. Um, and, and, you know, you sort of mentioned Japan. I remember once um, in a former life, I, um, as a journalist, I got taken on a, um, like a schmoozing evening where we went and made sushi and we're, you know, taught by a proper sushi chef. I mean, like, so for for pretty much a week, I was eating sushi for my lunch every day. And I found that it, you know, it filled me up. And I, and I think I did actually lose weight for a while. But I mean, my question was going to be, have there been many studies in terms of, you know, because, you know, if we say the Mediterranean diet, but then I'm thinking, well, actually, that fam, you know, that social aspect is a huge part of the Mediterranean culture. So are there many studies that look at the communal aspect as opposed to the act of you know what they're actually eating. So the fact is, you know, it might seem like this huge meal that lasts for hours, but you know, essentially it's all mindful eating going on because everyone's talking to each other. And maybe it's and maybe it's slow eating. Maybe like the slow food movement is well documented, has been going on the evidence of that for a long time. It's not hard to do in in an accelerating world to do a slow food movement is a really active, complicated thing to do, right? Because you you're fighting you're fighting the realities of everyday life, which is get quicker, get quicker, get quicker. It's it's one of those ones in so much. So I've come from a background of working a lot in the mopping up blood bit, right? Which is the, the, the medical, the pharma world, the medical devices world, where there's a huge amount of evidence around the specific things you can see under the microscope. Right? You look in, you look in, you look in. There's evidence for a single bit of proof point. That's how you prove evidence. And you ignore the stuff in the peripheries because actually it's too hard to get meta macro evidence and everything is easy enough to get a little micro evidence or something. And there's a lot of money to be made in that. So it makes a lot of sense to create a lot of scientific evidence around those spaces. When you look at things that are societal, I think there's a lot of 
evidence around sort of demographic longevity and health and wellness and vibrance and happiness indexes and those things around places. And I would hypothesize that they are places that tend to have a better relationship with food, a more natural relationship with original whole foods, with foods they make themselves, the things you bring together with time you put into it, mm. as opposed to hyper ultra processed foods. I mean, America's my, I love America. It, it always amazed me when I went to America and we did lots of work in hospitals in America with hundreds of people in lots of different locations. And they'd always offer us water and I'd get a tiny 100 mil bottle of water or a cola. And I get yeah. a litre bottle of cola. And I'm like, this is a hospital, right? And you offer me a tenth or a twentieth of a percent of the waters you're giving me in terms of a sugary drink. So, so in terms of in terms of studies, uh, I don't know. In terms of in terms of the actual specifics of those big meta studies, but in terms of books that people have written that have given like slow food movement related evidencing of why we should go to that world, there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of historical understanding there. And then you look at mindfulness as well. And I was like, what? So in mindfulness, we've got two or 3,000 years worth of evidence uh, as opposed to 20 or 200 or since the starts of the agricultural revolution when we started to change how our actual physical shape of our body and anatomy was based on how we started to eat food differently or differently. Um, following on from that, I mean, sort of going back to what you were saying about Huel, I mean, do you think, well, you know, could that almost be like well affect our evolution if we're chewing less you know are we could we possibly see that our bodies are going to evolve differently because we eat differently yeah well, so james nestor and breathe suggests that the evolution of eating more palatable foods that have gone through less chewing through less things that are more fibrous to break down has changed we've seen since we've manufactured food our jaw size shrink over 100 years, 100, 150 years, that affects the sinuses in terms of the sinus size and volumes. It affects the ability to breathe nasally versus breathe orally, which has lots of correlations into medical conditions in terms of long-term chronic health from cardiac through to respiratory, through all kinds of things. So if you correlate those things together, totally, I think I think there's a, there's a, there's a, there's, if we move to a world where we, we ingest only through liquids. It's like an NG tube life, right? Is is it is it what is it is it is it? I think I think there's a the it, it is not wise, and I think Huel Huel suggests. I don't know about Huel. Never. I think to Huel suggest it, it's good enough for two meals a day, but you should have a proper meal as well. So so that maybe part of that could be mm. you've got to use your mouth a bit. <laughs> They they offer they offer meals as well. I'm I'm not into details because I will just look at the meal replacement drinks, right? Because they quick and easy um, as, as you discover. <laughs> but they they do offer, I think, noodles and and all healthy healthy um, meals as well. Healthy, of course. I think there's a lot of I think they use from anecdotal evidence. They used a lot in the NHS, right, where people don't have any time to have meals. Oh, okay, yeah. So. I'm not suggesting that's a. I, I'm suggesting that Huel, in that instance, have created a very good silver bullet solution for an, a suboptimal working environment, as opposed to the optimal working environment, which is people having proper lunch hours and times to sit down with their other staff members away from work and to de-stress and to get their parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems into into some level of balance and moving them away from being in 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 quite a challenging work environment, especially over recent years. So, so it's like. 
it works and I, I totally like as a as a designer the human factors design person in me I get it like I totally get it I totally see how it's it is a it is a silver bullet solution to a very definite societal problem but it, but but it's not looking at the root cause of the problem it is a response to modern day life in my opinion man up man down is sponsored by well doing as someone who has seen a counselor for a number of years I think their approach is great They want you to find the mental health professional who is right for you. You can filter your search to highlight therapists with expertise where you need it, or you can pay to use their personalised matching service. The people who run Welldoing are experts in mental well-being, and they also have loads of posts and interviews to keep your mental health in good shape. Take a look at welldoing.org. Well, you're you're starting to open up the uh, the big exist well the big questions. I'm not even going to attempt saying existential. I think I just said it. But um, what so what is the problem that we face? I mean, it is this fact, uh, you know, and it's again, it's something that we've talked about a lot. Is that yeah, we make things easier. You know, it's almost like mankind's driven by making things easier for ourselves. But then we don't see the, um, you know, the unintended consequences. Totally. Um, As a usability designer, I used to think when I started off my career, I started working on the product was everything, right? This is like, this make this thing will solve the world. And then it became a service to make the service solve the world. It's a bit more complicated. Then you look at the system, make the system, the system is a bit messy, isn't it, right? And then you look at the whole society like, well, this doesn't work. But usability has been used in terms of making this thing more engaging, more, more desirable. I'm holding a pen at the moment, but it could be like any product in the world. And it makes it the thing that makes it easier to use. For that, see a Nokia mobile phone in the past or a delivery app at the moment. So now it used to be as a kid, I used to be able to run down the road to get my fish and chips from the chip shop, which was about a hundred meters away, but at least I had to get up and run down the road, get my fish and chips, bring them back. Now I can literally just go on an app and press a button and they arrive at my door. So there's this, the usability and ease of access to the product and the lowering of hurdles from a product selling perspective has become exponentially better and and digital and all these things have, have so many benefits to them but what they tend to also do is to remove a lot of the things that were functionally challenging in terms of practical everyday access to stuff so you don't have to try at all hard to to buy to order to eat like how I, i'm i'm a real a coffee addict i gave up drinking a couple of three years ago now so i'm three years into not drinking i gave it up as a sort so you've of you've ticked, ticked another box, box. Yeah. Yeah. So i listened on the podcast before i'm like i was really scared like covid just scared <laughs> the, living, the living daylights out of me right it seems you went one way or the other way but i went for the running for the hills bit trail running got really beardy forest gump ran off i used to do 5k and then in 2021 i did 1200 miles is my one year so i went wow. full-on crazy running gave myself plantar fasciitis all kinds of stuff and i've taken a year to come back from that but it, it it's where well, was I've, I've wandered off now <laughs> me, i've wandered myself off i think coffee was coffee addict right replaced, yeah coffee yeah. you replaced so, your alcohol uh, totally for the- I, I gave up coffee or i gave up caffeine but because i didn't think i could give up alcohol so wow. I couldn't even think of caffeine, like giving up caffeine now, I'm so addicted to caffeine, like I'd find that so tough <laughs> at the minute. But coffee you know, I'm not, not saying I'm addicted to alcohol, but yeah. I think I would find it tougher <laughs> to give up alcohol than, to be honest, giving up caffeine was actually so easy given That's you it. have a good replacement product, which mm. with alcohol, you know, because I like wine, you don't get good replacement products, right? So alcohol-free uh, beer is fine, but yeah. Alcohol-free beer is – so I've now convinced myself, and I think this is taking me a year, two years to do, I think now I can go out with friends in London and drink 
alcohol-free beer on tap is cold and get euphorically minorly drunk off the experience of going out with people who are also drinking and then come home and almost like feel, oh, I get the buzz off going out with friends. And it took in what ages I was like, oh, I can't not drink. It's like, it felt a real loss, right? It felt like I used to use, used to drink end of work, end of day as a, as a, as a calm down, right? And, it, and that's certainly been a thing that's taken a long time. And I'm still in that land where people say, oh, have you given up drinking forever? And I'm like, I don't know. I never, I didn't intend to stop drinking. I sort of just did it as this exercise thing. I'd be better. Look after the, look after the kind of the, the terrain of the body kind of guy, uh, go running, just run for the hills. <laughs> There's no COVID out there. He's like, run up into the downs. And it's left me in this sort of limbo land, I think, with alcohol. It's like I miss a lot of the – I'm trying to train myself into a lot of the cultural experiences I loved with alcohol, all the rituals and all those things you got there, but without having to have the alcohol. And I'm like in a – I'm in a – I'm in a I'm 50-50 in that moment. I mean, it's, you know, seeing as we're on the subject, and as I say, seeing as this, this is actually going to go out sort of uh... – relatively soon after we record it um i mean since since my dad passed away i have to say you know all the advice i've been dispensing on this podcast has just got out the window of like you know not not being well my mindfulness practice is, is like ground to a halt and um yeah you know i've been drinking like every weekend if not more but yeah no i feel like i've sort of and that was a question Matt asked sort of after we came on air, like, how, how am I? And I'm, I feel like I've, you know, there's still, well, like, for example, my son had a football tournament last weekend and, um, cause like the head coach was, um, at a wedding, um, me and two of the other dads, we were like running the team and it was a great experience. And I was like, Oh, I want to find my dad. Cause you know, football was a, a big thing between me and my dad. No, I, I feel like I'm coming out of of my. Uh, I'm well ready, ready to start. You know, having a period of, of alcohol freeness. I think it's really important to be kind to ourselves, right? Like number one, I think if I've learned anything, I've turned fifty in April. <laughs> Good job, I remember. See the mind's, <laughs> mind's shot. Um, I turned fifty in April, and in my forties, I was like, "Gotta solve, gotta be this, gotta be that, gotta be all these things, gotta be everything, like gotta be winning, gotta be working, gotta be running this thing." And like, I ignored a lot of. I definitely was like a workaholic with building agencies and running agencies, and it was like the the transition from being a, from being a physio into being a designer was, was like I did that in my early thirties. So it was like I've got to make this thing work full on, and I mm. went at that for ten years, 15, 15 years maybe, like, but really, like almost nothing else mattered. And and you get to this age and you're just like that. Ninety percent of the products you work in an agency life don't ever get to the real world, right? So a lot of the stuff you're doing is like hanging out and educating, understanding, and evolving the world in some way. It doesn't make it a lot of some of the things. A lot of the things don't make a difference. And no one cares. <laughs> like it doesn't matter. And and unless you're engaging and having life, you're being kind to yourself and looking after yourself. We, maybe you get to an age where you, I think Volker said one, one of the previous podcasts, she was like saying, you realize with work, you're just like, who cares? It's just work. Like, like, and you, it takes, it took me a long, long time to get to this thing where it's like, it is just work. What matters most is family and, and small community, little community, right? Not, not, not little, a niche in the world and what you can do about that thing and how you can get people and support people and help people you see, maybe little, little wins rather than the, the big things that I was like take over the world type thing. 
David, you want to say something about me to 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 pick? I, I can pick up on that um, yeah, happily. Yeah, no, I, I, I thought you were going to, and you know, just, uh... <laughs> you know, when, when when we talk about work and, and work life balance, I have a lot of coaching clients that you know want to talk about um, work life balance because it's just you know too much going on. And I, I love working. I'm one of these crazy ones. I get up really early. I love to work. I love to get lots of shit done. You know productivity you know you mentioned earlier you know i like to be productive you know squeeze the last minute out and as my wife always say she thinks time expense in my universe right when i say oh i'm going to be five minutes and then you know five hours later i i immerse out of my office with, with all my work done i'm like i'm the hero and she goes like where the fuck have you been right and and she's right she's absolutely right and and i'm still learning that right and i think and i think it is a learning process but on the other hand you, you need to recognize when when work gets too much, right? So so I, I give you a life, you know, to, today example. I had too, I have I had I have too many things on my plate today. So and and I knew that, so I prepared as much as possible. And I just got a meeting cancelled, and, and I'm sure another one will be cancelled this afternoon. And and I'm slowly going getting on top of my to do list. And you need to celebrate these wins, and and you need to look, you know, what what I do religiously. I block out an hour for lunch. And that's my hour where I recap, right? So I, I normally take a nap, you know, I take the dog for a walk, you know, what, whatever works for you. You just need to have this, you know, this buffer in your workday. Because otherwise, you know, if you, if you think you can work from, I don't know, six o'clock in the morning or six o'clock at night without a break, just drinking fuel, right? It's not going to work. It's not sustainable. It's, it's, it's you know, and, and you need to listen to your body, right? You need to listen to, to, to your mind. And um, so, so for me, nap, napping at lunchtime is, is a big savior. And I didn't have that for the last two days, which is really annoying because I was at a conference. <laughs> I'm sorry you had the, that nap removed. I love, I love that totally. I think also we're changing modes, right? We, sometimes we need yeah. to be very focused and that's one thing. And then maybe that's cortisol and maybe we, we're, we're on fight or flight and we're working hard at something. And then when you want to be more creative, you've got to be relaxed. You're, parent, you're, you're, you're sort of relaxed nervous system your parasympathetic nervous system needs to be there your dopamine needs to be released for you to be able to see peripherally and if we don't have something that can help us move in and out of those states then you're never really going to see the wood for the trees and i think we don't think of ourselves i think so much work could be done with us as little factories of one to understand ourselves as we understand circadian rhythms but when it comes to work we don't we don't put in PPE for our minds and PPE for our bodies like we should do as knowledge workers because we, we, the us, our brains, this is the bit that matters. This is the bit that adds value. It's the bit that delivers. And I'm, I think that's my passion is like, actually, how do you squeeze the lemon out of life without it being all go, go, go? It's like this kind of circadian rhythm or sort of like soundtrack of life is there's some ballads and there's some more fast tracks, right? How do we, how do we understand that? But yeah, I mean, for me, well, and I guess it's not, I don't have a certain time blocked out, but for me, it is like a, a good walk with the dog. And I don't mean like quickly taking the dog around the block. I mean, where I can, well, there's like one particular place where you get to the car park and there could be four or five cars parked there. Um, but then you, but you can walk and you won't see anyone, you won't see any other dog walkers and and there is also like a specific point where there's a stream and um and I've I've done some videos in this area but I'll I'll need to do some more so this is yeah another timely thing I am going to get on top of the social media schedule so there will be more content of me walking in the woods um but I mean I don't like know this if people week, want to see that David by the way oh, 
think they do. Everyone, everyone needs more green in their life. We need, we need more content. I mean, this is the, <laughs> the world needs more content. Yeah. If we've not got something in the world, it's content. I think. I think we need. Yeah. But, Especially um, people walking in the woods with their dogs. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, being profound. It'd be good if the dog soundtrack was there, right? It's uh, the story from the dog's perspective. Dog content, maybe. That would be well, good. Uh, it's funny you should say that because. Well, I do often have conversations with Archie where, where he talks back to me. And, um, and yeah, I was thinking of, of trying to do a YouTube channel where it was like, you know, live from Archie's perspective. Um, but anyway, that's, sorry, got sidetracked there. It reminds me of the Blur's coffee and TV, you know, the, the milk carton. The, the milk carton, yeah. It's like, that's what people want. They need, or, or the reversing the scientist from Coldplay. Like, you want to see the stories going in different ways and different angles. Wow, so a Goldie-looking chain, a Cold, uh, reference, a Coldplay reference, and a Blur reference. Did you get all, did you get all those, Volker? No, I don't. <laughs> exactly, so Jim. Sorry, we're not... Yeah. yeah no, I, I can't do a Kraftworks one. <laughs> But, um, yeah, so sorry, what I was trying to say is, um, before I got completely sidetracked there, is for me, it's almost like, you know, today's Friday, I'm feeling quite tired, being out for a walk with Archie, and and I'm like, I know I haven't done this enough this week. And it's that almost that kind of um, chicken and egg situation where I've been busy, so I've not been out for these, you know, breaks that really do revitalize me and reinvigorate me um so i've probably been even though i've been busier i've probably been less productive and you know and it is almost and but there is you know a a big element where i will you know still beat myself up you know where i'm like you know constantly checking the phone while i'm out on this embracing nature but yeah what i mean what what i was gonna say is there is just one point where you can't hear the roads and you can just hear the stream and well, I live near Gatwick. So if you get a point where there's not a plane going overhead, you are like, wow, you know, I've got complete silence. All I, well, all I can hear is nature. And, and I just find that that's, well, that, yeah, that's kind of where my sort of energy comes from. I think it's really interesting with food in relation to that space is like, how do we, we talked a bit about how do we create the space for food to not be just something that's functional, that we that we transition from a vessel into our body to give us nutritional, to give us all the sort of vitamins and minerals we need, but something perhaps that gives us the space upon which to physically experience that that we're consuming in a way that we're loving. Like your walk, where you get those moments of silence, where you're engaged, where you're sort of in flow with that experience, right? I think that has to... that. In a, world, in, in a magic wand world, I'd love that to happen more often with food. Less phones. Uh, we know we experimented a bit with it, with the with the slow the thought down course, which was how we can use sort of metronomic feedback on phones. And phones at dinner tables should be like a no-no, right? So how yeah. do you get feedback that can happen that's hidden away in the background, but that doesn't interfere with the process? So you don't come too relied on technology, but you've just got that right bit of feedback. And I think that's always a big challenge in relation to when you're making anything that gives an awareness vehicle like in mindful eating that it isn't just interfering too much and creating you to be too data focused and those things it's like how do you make it something that just is there as like a concierge or a coach in the background something that can give you a little nudge or a bit of support or help tell you it's you're doing too much of this or too little of that or it's the right time to take a break and i think that kind of like that 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 support system within the mindful eating world is something I'm really fascinated about understanding 
more of, if they will, the slow coach. How do we? How how would you put a slow coach in there to help help you have this the space and the time to consume better? It's interesting that um, I mean, when you sort of said about the timing aspect, and when I did the trial, you know, the first sort of few times you do it, you're like, oh yeah, this is great. I am really enjoying my food, and then. Well, you know, lunchtime, you know, I'd take, take a bite, 30 seconds to, you know, chew that bite. And then after a few minutes, I'm like, I don't know if I've got time for this. <laughs> and, and you know, and it's almost like I'm, I'm now starting, you know, it's anxiety inducing. And, you know, that's, again, that's something we've talked a lot about on the podcast, how a lot of this technology that's meant to make you sort of more, more mindful can sort of induce, you know, have the counter effect and induce anxiety. But, um what we're saying is there's many aspects of our life where we'd be a lot better for it if we slowed down. Absolutely. And if we can do that, how do we do that? And how do we make minimally invasive technology and support and human support to help that become something that we integrate into our everyday rather than being something that's too much of an expected silver bullet and not something that's forgiving enough or supportive enough. And I think that's, that's kind of the thesis for my bigger work is like, how do we apply this sort of slow coach world to a better, more engaged, more in the middle, right? So balance, when we say balance, it's like you're falling off one side or the other, right? It's, it's hard to keep balance, but to keep in a central range where things are in a normal and acceptable space, that's sometimes a bit faster and sometimes a bit slower. I think this is this is this is a better a better world, and some of that's future of work, and some of it's future of food, and some of it's just future of of life and relationships with with other people that we that we that we spend our precious time on this earth with. Uh, there's one point I wanted to pick up before you 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 do the closure, then, um, David. The, the PPE for the mind. I like that phrase. I might steal that. You know what 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 can we do? Is is it time? Do we need to slow down, or what 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 is it? Well, you should, I'd like I'm to explore work, that. Sorry, I'm, wor- I'm working on a. Maybe this is for another conversation. I'm working on a very specific thing at the moment, <laughs> which is be, about, yeah. about understanding how we utilize elements to de-stress ourselves, uh, so that we have the tools to deal with this very, very busy world in which we are enforced to live in, in terms of efficiency. So, things that can give us self-protection. I, I kind of can't. I've kind of coined it next generation ergonomics. If the first generation ergonomics is screens and chairs and things that we do at the desk and job design, and then we went on to things that are like supportive inbound uh, or, or outbound apps like mindfulness and counselling and things that are like listen to this stuff, it'll help you. And then we can get inbound data that comes off our smartwatches and things to say, well, how does this actual stuff actually work for me? And that's where sort of slow the fork down was in relation to that outbound, inbound. And that's where it would develop in. I'm particularly interested in what do you put into space that is beyond that? So there's lots of efficiency. There's lots of make time from the guys who do design sprints. There's lots of all these things that are around tools that are around SaaS products. My particular interest in what can we put in that place to de-stress like it's PPE to protect you from yourself within this ever ex- ever accelerating world, uh, and I'm working on a project for that at the moment. So maybe something we can talk about okay. a little bit later down the line. Yeah, I might need to get you back. So yeah, it sounds like there are lots of uh, exciting projects that you're working on, Matt. If if people want to follow what you're doing, or you know want to reach out for mentoring or anything like that, how do they find you? 
Well, they can email me, matt at weare10.co.uk, uh, and look up a bit more information on me on my website. My LinkedIn profile has a link tree that goes to all of these things from the website, also to the Slow the Fork Down course, if they want to have a go on that. There's a 50% discount on that at the moment. So the link on that, I can provide you guys a link for that too. And if they have interest, like either if they're developers or investors or people who are interested in this journey around slow around slow coaching around this life of ppe for ppe for the mind and building a movement around doing things health health delivered differently is my is my sort of mantra uh, and i'm always always interested in helping people deliver products and services to the world i say i like i, I try to solve the world through products and services sometimes succeeding won't stop trying and so if i can help in any way in those basis that'd be great and also whether people have any feedback for me on whether turning slow the fork down as a short course and an app into a book whether there's any whether there's any benefit on that which is design thinking does mindful eating is there is there any grounds for that and would anyone want to read that if that existed uh, so they can email me contact me through those contacts i'm on twitter but i don't use twitter i've tried not to use instagram anymore but i, I would dip back in again but that's so that's probably probably the best way as we all live with these complex challenges of our everyday digital lives well you know unfortunately um you know there is now a man up man down instagram account and you know as i say that is the content i'll be working on so sorry matt i know that you're going to get sucked right back in i'm on it i'm on it i'm in Go on. <laughs> and there's a tiktok channel now as well david oh. don't forget yeah of course of course so basically the, the the plan is that i'm gonna film some stuff and then i'm handing it all over to my 13 year old daughter well it's interesting like to be the, the attention was 12 seconds right 10 years ago that they said you can hold some four now six seconds now a tiktok right so that's 10 years down the line so in 10 years it's three seconds or is it but that is it is that where we're going are we going faster and faster oh that's i think that's, that's a whole, whole new podcast <laughs> I think well, we are going faster and faster. But, oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah we, 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 we're running out of time. Sorry, I'm going to be quiet. But, uh, yeah. yeah no, Th- thanks for, for being here. But, David, you, you, you finish it. I was just going <laughs> to say... We might have to get you back. His, needs, needs his nap and his lunch. But, um, but yeah, thanks exactly. very much, Matt. Um, yeah, I feel like we have scraped the surface. So we'll have to get you on. But, yeah, thanks very much. And, uh, as you know, we are very timely hope everybody enjoys the sunshine absolutely well thank you thank you very much for having me and, and thank you for doing all the great work with the podcast i'm loving it so keep up the great content it's great. thank you thanks for listening to this week's episode feel free to reach out to Volker or david via our website www.manupdown.com or podcast at manupdown.com with any feedback or to let us know what topics you'd like us to cover in the future hear you again soon